You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Now, hopefully, Sid Talk, everybody listening to this show is either A not deafened by us and our microphone setup, or B, can't hear what we're saying. Well, hopefully it's somewhere in between those two. Yes. Whatever's in between A and B, hopefully that's what they're experiencing. Because the before the after the show discussion wasn't much of a discussion, it was just preparing the microphone after your new installation of your yeah, new I'd, operating system. I'd inst- This week, I, uh, Windows 8 was released this week, and I'd install Windows 8, and literally, and this is the biggest span of time ever, that I have not reformatted my computer. The last time I reformatted my computer and I looked at it was Christmas Day. And yes, I did reformat a computer on Christmas Day. (laughs) Two years ago when you bought me an SSD drive for Christmas. Hmm. That was the day I reformatted it that day. And yesterday was the next time I did it. And usually I reformat all the time, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was the longest span. Anyway, I've reformatted and... uh, there's always something, isn't there? Because you get everything just how you like it. Yeah. Uh, and the microphone seems to have a life of its own because we had to change the settings now. And hopefully, Are you sure it was two years ago? I remember you doing it. Yeah, because I looked on the uh, log. Like You can type in and see when you last reformatted. Mm. It was two years ago. I have reformatted in the middle of all that, but not reformatted, restored an image from okay. Cronus. Okay. Which isn't a reformat. It's just like a, oh, crap, it went wrong. I'll put last week's image back on. So, um... Computer problems aside. There might be people who have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, hopefully you can hear us good. It looks to me, looking at the waveform, that we're good. So let's get on with the show. Uh, It's Saturday, October the 27th, 2012. This is after the show, number 247. The movie we're looking at this week is a new Blu-ray release. It's E.T. Actually, the real title of this movie is E.T. the Extraterrestrial, right? Mm -hmm. I like to refer to it as E.T. Of course you do. It's a bit of a mouthful, right? So, if you went to the cinema, would it have said E.T. the Extraterrestrial? Yeah. It would. All right, so E.T. the Extraterrestrial. And uh, this is um, <laughs> on my show notes. It says the year of release of this movie is 2012. That is incorrect. It's from 1981. Um, it's released on Blu-ray on the 9th of October 2012, so you can go out and get it now. It's um, rated pg and it's from our friends at Universal. I just want to mention, this is a 4K restoration on Blu-ray. So it's the same treatment they gave to Jaws, which we reviewed a few weeks ago. Um, and secondly, a lot of people have asked me, is it the messed with version where they CG animated um, E.T.? It is not. It is the original 1981 untampered with version. It just looks better because they transferred the film again. But it's not the tampered with one. In fact, the tampered with one is the one where they took all the guns off the belts of the um, F- the dudes. This one was tampered with then. No, they had guns. No, they didn't. I was looking very closely. They had no guns. They had all keys hanging off of them. No, not those guys. The guys with the mustaches who hmm. looked like Brian Fontana running after the truck, running after the yeah, yeah. They all had guns and they were pointing guns. Yeah. They don't point guns in the other version. They don't point anything. They they point their hands saying stop, stop, and they have no. They have holsters, but they're empty. Hmm. Because he was kind of, I don't know, 
as far as I can tell, when they redid it for the 20th anniversary, I think they were just looking... I, th- I think Spielberg was happy with it anyway. He was just looking like, what can we do to sell it again? Hmm. That's how it seemed to me. Anyway, you get in the original 1981 version, but it looks and sounds much better than it ever did. And Sid Talk is going to give us the synopsis of a movie that probably you have all seen. I think you should, because you love it so much. Okay, so E.T., a young boy finds an extraterrestrial in his uh, garden shed. What would you call that thing? Garden shed. And wants to help him... E.T. wants to go back home because he he was left behind by his people. And it's the adventures of a boy and an (laughs) E.T. And hilarity ensues. And see, that synopsis (laughs) is what uh, the whole world sees. Yeah. Steven Spielberg now says it's not about that at all. It's all about a broken family. It is. It is as well. But it isn't, because it, it's we're so used to now, and in the 80s, to stories about kids and divorce and stuff, that that doesn't resonate at all. Like, Elliot's not a lost boy looking for some sort of fulfillment in his life because of a divorce. I mean, none of, nobody sees that, really. No. He says that's what it's about now. In but retrospect, you can say, I guess you have a different outlook on it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but it hasn't, it doesn't. But it isn't because it wasn't. We're also used to divorce. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't be. It doesn't seem like oh, you know, the impact mm. of a divorce on a, on a young family. You know, we see the mother now react to the father being in Mexico, and she's like, he doesn't even like Mexico, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, <laughs> divorce is sucks, and that's about it. We don't go oh, the poor family. You like you just you do and you don't. So. So, E.T. To um, us, to everyone else, it's about a boy and an alien. Right. So, I'll give you my, you know, history with E.T. And it is a very meaningful film to me. Always has been. Um, I saw it in 1981. How old were you? I would have been 12. Correct. Um, It's one one of the only films where I actually felt really, really sad. I actually felt for it. And I was 12 years old. And I felt sad today watching it. But it reminds me of then a lot. And, uh... Did you cry? Yeah. Um... Not today, I know. No, I, I mean, but I was really... Like, it really affects me. Like, it's... I, I, it brings me back to being a boy, right? And the reason I connected with this movie so well... I mean, yes, it's an American movie with American boys. And I, as an English kid, I didn't, I didn't fully get, like, the Halloween thing and the going on the school bus and all, you know, it was a bit different for me. But I did connect with, like, boys who would go out, and I was a BMX fan. I had a BMX, and I rode about, on B- and I did, you know, BMX. I was always on my BMX. I loved it. I couldn't I couldn't tell you. If somebody knocked it over, I was, I would go off on them, like, it was like my baby. I, so I remember having adventures on my bike and jumping over hills, and, you know, and that section of this movie where they're riding the bikes and, going up and down, you know, it just brings me back to doing that as a child. So I was always connected with it. I always felt like, this could be me having this adventure with this E.T. thing. And so... After you saw it, did you and your friends go riding as yes. if you were, like... Yes, definitely. <laughs> running away Not from Not just this movie. BMX Bandits was one that resonated with me. Nobody even knows what that movie is. But being into BMX and realizing there was a movie, an adventure movie, about people who like BMXs, it was, like, all, all over my street. But... E.T., um, I did see it a lot when I was younger. 
and I've not seen it so much since, but I I have a fond memory for it. It's it's a um I don't think they make movies like this today. Like I've said this before, we're way too cynical nowadays and we the pureness of something like like I really think Spielberg here, like you he wanted to tell it from a child's perspective. I, I really think he captured that. And he, he did purpose things in this movie like he explains um only films adults from the waist down in the in the beginning of the movie and you never really see adults as personalities they're just adults who are there like how children see adults yeah there's adults that are getting in the way of my adventures there they are there they are there they are you know as a child yeah. so i think he really got that like because it, it makes me feel like i wanted to go and you know as a child don't want parents stood in my way want to go out on my bike want to sneak out in the middle of the night you know that kind of thing so I think he captured that perfectly. And it takes me back to childhood right now. And, and movies today, and I was saying, they're not... They're way cynical, aren't they, movies today? Even movies, they're trying to be cool. They're trying to have the best special effects. They're trying to... It's, it's a hard... They're not movies like this now, is what I'm getting at. Where it's about... It's not really about the wow-bang special effects. It's about the, the story, the, you know, the people. Do you think there are none like that? Is that what you're saying? Or you no, just... I think there are like that, but I don't. I think nowadays, with and this was a huge, you know, this was when Spielberg had already made Raiders of the Lost Ark, already made Jaws. He was the shit. Yeah, I mean, he is now, but he was then. He was when a Steven Spielberg movie Close comes encounters. out. Everybody take note. There's the big movie from Steven Spielberg, the big summer movie, and this is what that was that year. And nowadays, you know, we make Transformers, and you know, it's all great, and it's all flashbang wow. But it's hollow, isn't it, compared to like a... Like, this moves you. Now, there is a movie I... I've not... We Neither of us has put this down in our recommendations. But Super 8 that we mm-hmm, watched last year. I was just year, thinking Super 8. Which is also made by Steven Spielberg's production company. In fact, the only movie after E.T. to have the moon with E.T. going over it at the beginning in the title credits. So it's, it's a relation to E.T. Mm-hmm. And I felt that did it with yeah. that, like, and because they were trying to do it. But generally, they don't these days. They just don't. Everything's cynical. I kind of like it when your screensaver goes on. Everything's, not... even, everything's cynical and... Smartass. There's lots of smartassy things in movies now where and, it tends and to be cool. And just trying to uh, one-up the last special effects movie. Like... Our special effects are better than yours. Let's do more. Let's do, you know, like the Michael Bay syndrome. Like, let's go bigger, bigger, bigger. Now, E.T.'s not big in any respect. In fact, it feels very small now yeah. watching it. It feels... It feels really amateur. Compact almost. And really... Not just of the time. Almost... Feels like almost it was done on the cheap. behind the times. Mm. Of the times. Because... Close Encounters, to me, was... Bigger and yeah. better special, not bigger, but I mean, it felt more authentic. And Raiders of the Lost Ark felt more authentic. All the stuff felt more solid, and like this was like miniatures and toys. And I had to really let my mind go there, like because I did not see ET when I was a kid. I didn't see ET till I was way an adult, so it doesn't have the same thing for me. I wasn't little. I wasn't twelve or thirteen years old when I first saw it. I was a grown up already. So. I get it, but I don't have any of that memory of the pure, of actually seeing it from a young person. Right, and that's yeah. most of it for me. Yeah. But after watching it, 
and I, you know it's got a lot of flaws in it and it, it you know you have to really kind of go with it yeah exactly like i'm think i was thinking well a kid of today watching this would they would they be cynical and go oh, come on those bikes flying look terrible and like yeah. like et looks kind of crappy would they be like that or would they take the the story to heart i don't know like i don't know how it would play to a modern I mean, I'll play fine to, like, younger children, yeah. I think. But, you know, like, the teenagers yep. who I was when I saw it. You just sit there to Roll the their eyes, their maybe, and up. look at the cell phone. I don't know. They'd be looking at it going, that looks like a plastic bodysuit. I mean, they would. That's I just guess reality. I feel like I, I was 12 when I saw it. Yet, to me, it was real life. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'd really give myself to it. Like, I, I don't feel like kids do nowadays. I don't know. I think they grow up a quicker or something. I, I, you know? Well, if you'd seen it when you were 16 for the first time, though. Even a 16-year-old I don't know. I always kind of give myself to films, though, so maybe I'm the wrong person to... Uh, and we even... did grow up in the age of the the coming of age of yeah. special effects, so we had sort of... We were there at the dawn of the big, massive special effects. The dawn of special effects? Yeah. I mean, we... I mean, I've been watching really old movies lately that have some awesome special effects for the 30s and 40s, even, and 50s, and yet... For some reason, we hit the 80s and technology and computers start kicking in where you could do everything a different way. And we were there for, like, the cusp of it all. We were there from in-camera, from the movies that were modern movies where they took film and on each frame of the film would draw the special effects to a computer that does it and makes a movie like Avatar. E.T. didn't have any computers involved in it. In the original? No, this one that we just saw, it w- even the bikes flying, it's um, like inlaid photography. Like, it's it's not computers, it's uh, film them and then put yeah. splice the cells together. And then there's one scene where you see the dudes with the flashlights, and they're in front of the city of Los Angeles. And you can tell yeah. it's being projected behind them. It's not a green screen. No. It's being, it's just like really old-fashioned, the they're look if you walked in that room in that studio they would have a, mo- a projector projecting that still shot of Los Angeles from Mulholland Drive and then the dudes right, are, yeah. are walking in front of that projection and it's just got that weird it's actually, like on, on Blu-ray it look, you that is one thing that <laughs> yeah. I was like oh yeah it looks even worse yeah like. yeah and there are some things because now on Blu-ray it's so sharp and and done up. The bikes flying look ten times worse than it ever did to yeah, me. Yeah, but... I saw it on VHS a lot, right? And it was kind of very, and, you know, waggly. And, and small. You were looking at it on a 19-inch yeah. screen. Like 19 to 20 inches. Probably from 10 or 12 feet away. Right. Because the couch was always over here and the TV was sitting over there. And now we have a 100-inch yeah. screen. And, uh, and on Blu-ray, because it's, it's higher definition, when those bikes are going in the air... You can almost see how they cut out. Yep, exactly. Yeah, like a, there's like an odd missing. green line around everything. But for some reason, you can because we've been we've known this movie our whole yeah. life or most of our lives. You just have to. The innocence of that is almost part of the charm. It's almost like even though it's Steven Spielberg and he was a big filmmaker at the time and had millions of dollars to spend, it's still almost like. Somebody trying really hard to make a, a a movie with so much heart, and they just don't have the means to make it right. look great. But you just get with it because you're like, oh. But and we know at the time the means were there to make it look amazing because Star Wars had already been made, which looks way better than this movie. 
I mean, special yeah. effects wise, the special effects in Star Wars are Raiders of the Lost Ark look pretty good. Yeah, too. they're unparalleled. I mean, like actual model work and stuff in Raiders, in Star Wars. You know, they still look great to this day. It doesn't look it doesn't look wonky. This looks really. It's almost wonky. like Spielberg doesn't care that much about things like that. He really hands it over to other people. He doesn't do the directing on every single scene either. You can tell he directs more like telling what? them what to how to act. Which is directing them. He's old school act. He's old school direction. Act like this. Step like over there. Do this. And he lets the cinematographer and then his all the other people kind of do the the visual parts. I mean, I get that vibe. So if he's and he's excited about everything. Right. So if he was sitting there watching the dailies and they said, "Well, this is what the bikes are going to look like," he'd be like, "Awesome! That's awesome!" But he kind of over. He just doesn't care so much. He cares more about the story he's telling. Yeah, that's what he... Which is, I think, that's where why you and I... that's why successful. Yeah, you and I come from a place where we totally get the story side of it. And other people are going to be looking at it for, oh, special effects, because it's an alien movie. Right, and I and definitely felt the same way as I did when I watched it the first time, watching it this time. Aww. Because this movie has a really interesting pace. Like, it's... um Yeah. It, it builds up quite slowly to what is... But then when... I'm not saying what happens if you if you for some reason you didn't see it um, <laughs> happens. You take an emotional it takes an emotional toll on you. It's really weird, like you know when you know where I paused it. Yeah, because we went for a pee in the middle when I, that scene where I paused it. That scene it's hard to watch for me because I feel like it, you feel like he's yeah a, a part of that family. You really do like at that point. Well, I'm not that far into it at that point, but. Well, because, I am because I've already seen it, I guess. Because the kids are so good, and so, well, they're manipulated into being so good, we'll say, because we see the behind the scenes, but they act, but they're not acting. They kids, Those kids, in that moment, were feeling those things because of what how the grown-ups were talking to them and telling them what was going on. You could tell Drew Barrymore was just a wreck as a little girl, like, anyway... God knows what else they were saying to them behind the scenes to get them to actually cry and stuff. So they were really feeling those things. They weren't what we would see a lot of kid actors today, yeah, the affected on. thing. Yeah. They're not act they were like actually distraught. And I think that when you're seeing maybe I don't think it's a woman thing, but when you're seeing a child actually truly cry, like he's really crying when he's looking at him, not and you could tell when they showed in the extras when they cut away and Steven Spielberg was like, good job to the boy. He's just, the boy's just like... Nah, he, needed, he's not, he needed to take he, a yeah, moment. Yeah, <laughs> was like totally just I not. need to get myself back together before and I And I think talk. that adds, that's everything in this movie. I mean, E.T.'s not that compelling to me at all. Like, E.T.'s a freaky, plastic-looking blob of a thing. I've seen so many better looking aliens, however, and I'm sure people will hate me for that. But it's because Elliot loves him, truly, and Gertie's just like, oh, you know, he's he's ours and we want to take care of him. And the, even the teenage brother is not a jerk about anything at all. He's a nice teenage brother. That's what makes me want these kids to have this alien as part of their life. So when everything... When anything bad happens, then you're kind of like, that's what tears me up. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it's a classic. I, I was thinking of all of Steven Spielberg's movies, and he, when I was watching him on the extras, it seems like, to me, and I've seen him talk about lots of his movies, that he, this one is something special to mm-hmm. him. 
like the memory of it, the actual working on it seemed nice rather than like he's had some ugly sets he's in the Jaws was horrible yeah this one seemed very easy for him like it like he said it was his first before he had a family of his own right then he had these kids he said and he's trying to um plus he says that years later about it being about his family and plus it seemed like he had a thing for or with the lady who wrote the script for him yeah I thought it was a bit of a connection yeah so there might have been you know, I've been thinking lately about this thing of life. We all have, like, peaks and valleys, and it could be that you peak huge in your life and then nothing compares, or as life goes on, we all have ups and downs, and Steven Spielberg would have been going through a Jaws is a massive hit, and now what do I do? And this is a massive hit, and now what do I do? And E.T. comes at a time when he's done a bunch of huge things. It had been a few couple of years, hadn't it? When yep. was Raiders of the Lost Star? When was Close Encounters? Close Encounters was 77? Was it? No. It, um, Star Wars was 77. Then. Probably 78. Okay, so he was doing a movie every couple of years then. Yeah, he really was. He was the peak of his... Yeah. Everybody wanted him to make a movie, right? It was his... He was the big... So he was in a... But then again, he's never had a down, has he? <laughs> Steven I personally don't think he has, no. I mean, he's made movies that are not my... Subject, yeah. fully, but but do you think I still admire everything he does? Takes him up, up, up. I'm in the I'm in the eye. I'm in the middle of it all. Movie's done, and then there's a down, like, and then there's a, the next project, and then you know. So I mean, he's just I felt like the newest one he's done is Lincoln, which looks interesting. Hmm. Um, and yeah, like we said about Steven Spielberg before, you cannot predict what he's going to do next. No, it could be War Horse. Or it could be Lincoln. Oh, Boris was so good. Or it could be E.T. You know, Terminal? It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so varied. I mean, you can't even pin him down. Catch can me you? if you can. That, I don't we didn't he, even know he'd made that movie. No, I don't think you can pin him down to even say that's a Steven Spielberg film if you didn't know. I agree. Because he's not got a style. of a. He has got a style, but it's not a particular style. It's not... And he really, if you think, and E.T. is a perfect example, that it is substance over flash. Yeah. And anybody can argue the opposite, and you can say, well, look at Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, no, Raiders of the Lost Ark is pushing the boundaries of flesh over substance, and yet at the heart of it, Indiana Jones is such a massive kind of character. You're more into his story. The special effects aren't perfect. No. Do you know what I mean? But I think he's always about that that thing. He does the same thing that um, Titanic guy does. He, they have Come. a magic formula that... Yeah, there's not many who do either. Manipulates us all. Just for, isn't that what it is? They're manipulating us. They've pulled on those heartstrings enough where we're all like sitting there all. And he's funny because he was talking about how E.T. came along at a time when Disney was on a down, which I'm not. No, they did have a hard time financially. How do you know? Because of what I've he lo- said? Or? No, not because of that. I've looked at Disney stuff loads of times about news about Disney. But he was saying kids' movies weren't doing good. But holy shit, we grew up in the 80s and kids' movies seem like... I feel like my youth was filled with children's movies. There was a there was a period of time where Disney, like everything was a hit. Every Disney movie was a hit, and then 60s, it, I suppose. and then it wasn't as much. Like some of them missed, like some of them didn't. Like Peach Dragon, it was it was. Remember Peach Dragon? I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. That was one where it was estimated it was going to be huge, 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 and it just 
kind of fizzled. Like it, and and it happens to them now. Like some of the Pixar movies, they're not all lightning in a bottle. Like, excuse the pun, lightning. But uh, Cars two, you know, all yeah. the Pixar stuff. They thought, yeah, they're always going to sell. And Cars two was actually a moderate success, just moderate. It didn't. You can't do it forever, anyway, can you? The, so then you could say the two, the nineties and the two thousand era was another big Disney with Pixar. They came at well, their soon side. Pixar kind of revived them, didn't it? it well, but they had the others too, I suppose. Well, yeah, but what, if you notice, when computer animation came around and Disney got a handle on it, that was they were the movies that sold the Toy Stories. That it was the other ones kind of got ignored for a while until they kind of brought them back again. So are there any other... I mean, we hit the 80s and then we start getting movies that I'm in love with, of course, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Sixteen Candles and all that. That kind of came middle and later 80s. So what other kid, quote-unquote, movies were there along with E.T. at that time, now that I'm really thinking about it? What Disney movies were from the 80s? I don't know about Disney. I I don't mean just Disney, because I feel like my youth was filled with movies. However... I lived in a small community. My movies all came from television. Every Sunday night was Disney's movie of the week. So, so to could... me, it was all Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Which Mary Poppins. Yeah, but to me, it was then. Do you right. know, in my mind, when I think back, every single Sunday night was a Disney movie. Herbie and it felt and like, that, yeah, yeah, at that like greatest, uh, Mer- the world's greatest athlete and all that kind of stuff was every single Sunday in, my, in the 70s, at least in my mind. And then I guess when I think of the early 80s, yeah, maybe there weren't as many as I imagine were coming out at the time. So he maybe just hit magic in a bottle there, like you said, lightning. I think there was nothing else like it. It came out, you know, it was kind of the birth of the big holly, the big summer blockbuster type of movie. I mean, that that was starting up, you know, after Star Wars. People and he had already were, teased everybody with Close Encounters when yeah. the space thing was coming around. Everybody loved Close Encounters for a start, and then he's doing another sci-fi movie. People would be interested automatically, yeah. wouldn't they? So, yeah, I think he probably did. And, you know, this movie cost $10 million to make. And he also had Poltergeist, which was right. a suburbia movie. When you're talking about suburbia and teenagers and kids involved in movies. Produced by Steven Spielberg, Poltergeist. Was it? Yeah, I think so. Because that's another one that kind of very much symbolizes the 80s. Yeah. The uh, suburbs of city. Now, I never lived in a suburb my whole life. Well, I guess now I kind of do. The Goonies. The Goonies was more of a small community. Yeah, it was a suburb. Yeah. But, um, oh my God. There are other movies with kids in this kind of. (laughs) He's one of the greats of our time. I can't. Well, of all. He's impacted our lives, you and I, in our minds somehow. Oh, yeah. Because of a perspective on things I mean, in the world. a few weeks ago, we were sat here talking about Jaws in the same way. <laughs> yes, yes. So, and, and, you know, in a few weeks more, we could be talking about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in the same way. They're all... They're all... There's a theme to them, isn't there? They and I think you can, argue, you can argue one thing is, yes, he's doing it to make lots of money, which he is. He's a businessman. He's a, and he also started making films when he was a boy. Yep, and he eight. seems to have the same enthusiasm when you see him now in interviews, even though he's got a grown-up and a, a very serious element to him. He still gets excited when he talks about other films he's seen, other filmmakers. It's like it's in him. He hasn't become... Jaded. By yeah, him. like I feel like the guy who made the first two Iron Men. What's his name? Who did? John Favreau. Yeah, I feel like he got he went from making movies to being Hollywood. And that kind of sucked the life out of him. I felt like it really 
everything then wasn't he wasn't excited about the movie stuff and I just feel like Steven Spielberg injects that because when you see him on the set and somebody does a scene and then he's like yeah that's awesome you can see he's what it's gen- gonna be yeah he's yeah. genuinely excited about it and I think I think people bring that to him as well like in E.T. they all were kind of very artsy fartsy actorly type of people anyway well the interesting thing about Steven Spielberg and I've seen lots of behind the scenes stuff including like Private Ryan and you know all these newer ones um and he is Steven Spielberg literally like a a god amongst filmmakers like you people bow to it that kind of thing I noticed that nobody does he just they just he deals with actors they deal with him it's almost like that is just cut out. Like he almost says to them, you know, forget that I'm Steven Spielberg. This is a, this is what we're doing. I never see people kind of. Everybody seems to act normal around him, and he seems to act normal. Even in Warhorse, the extras for Warhorse, and that's a very new movie. He's just the same. He's like, I want to get a good performance out of everybody, and you know, ask me anything. Like I'm not like too. I'm not. It, on my it own seems ass. like he really digs deep, and I think in a weird way. Other movies that we've seen, like, when I was watching Trust, I actually felt like, wow, somebody behind that camera is pulling on that girl, you know, when she's doing all of her, with the weird scenes, and then the parents are, like, they're really, there's something, when you're watching, because it's just a a guy, you know, what's his name, the actor guy doing his scene with the wife, and yet I'm thinking to myself, there's somebody behind that camera who has either spoken to them, or talk to them about this, and it's we're getting something extra. And then you find out behind the scenes, David Schwimmer's like really passionate about this topic, and everyone felt really, really into it. Yeah, nobody was half assing it. Like, yeah, it was... I feel like you can feel that in Steven Spielberg movies, even though he doesn't have always the highest standard of everything else. That was probably the highest. Well, no, it wasn't even the highest standard for back then, was it? Because we'd seen previous better stuff, right? But we've never previously seen like a BMX fly in the sky. Never like, really. He hadn't really had emotions from people. He Jaws wasn't like deeply emotional. It was lots of reactions. Raiders of the Lost Ark isn't deeply emotional. There's lots of kitsch and lots of slap, you know, funny moments. This is like he. I don't know. He somehow just got all the element. He got magic, didn't he? I think. So uh, let's move on to the cast quickly. Do you think anyone will ever dare make it again? No, no, no. I don't think any of Steven Spielberg's movies, no. I I don't mean what you want. I mean, do you think anyone ever will, like when he's dead and gone? (laughs) I think he's, don't touch what is, like, classic, you know? Somebody's going to do it. Um, So cast here, we've got Henry Thomas as Elliot. um, And we did see them on, like, a reunion uh, special thing. 2001, so that's been 10 years, 12 years. Um, And we say, you know... like some of the actors in this, we didn't really see again very much. Well, Dee Wallace, because she was in The Howling, which I right. always remember her for that. Obviously, more we than see this. Drew Barrymore. And Cujo. Drew Barrymore is uh, Gertie, who we obviously all know now because she's mm-hmm. became, you know, she was she's the one I think of who. And she was only a little. Well, I don't think of her. I think of Dee Wallace every time. See, I don't think of her because I think of Cujo and. Uh, the Howling, and the, I always think. See, of I her. think of Drew Barrymore like she's been in a lot of stuff, right? A lot of stuff. I mean, she has her own movie company. She, um, I think she's been in less than you think. So I'm thinking Charlie's Angels. I'm thinking the roller skating one. I'm thinking she's yeah, been in romantic two. comedies and stuff. Fifty first. Two States. Charlie's Angels, right? Fifty first dates. That's my favorite one, I think. And then when she was a kid, there was Firestarter and a couple yep. of others because they kind of 
nabbed onto her, but then she had problems. And, and then we got D. Wallace as Mary. Like I said, I don't think I've seen her, apart from, aside from what you mentioned, recently. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Um, Peter Coyote is Keys. Um, we do see him quite often in things. Uh, my favourite being Bitter Moon by Roman Polanski. We see him often? When was yeah, the last time I think we, we saw see him? him as character actors and stuff, don't we? We did see him in something not long ago. Um, we don't see him often. Probably a few years ago. I think well, that's a mistake. We saw him at the Oscars. We didn't see him. He was the voiceover. No, yeah. you see him though. You, yeah, we see him behind the thing. Yeah, once. That was like five years ago. Yeah, well, actually, he's the voice of trailers now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a voice of he's a lot of commercial, commercials, commercials and too. trailers for movies. You'll, you'll hear his voice all over the place. Um, C. Thomas Howell as Tyler. <laughs> he's just a friend. Yeah. Um, but he's C. Thomas Howell. Yeah. Uh, so directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, first. The time. other friend was good too, the one with the big headphones. Yeah, those <laughs> headphones are huge. Um, don't really need to go into what Steven Spielberg... We talked enough about him. So this Blu-ray... It's the digitally... You can talk about the older brother. I thought he was really good in this movie. Yeah, I didn't put his name down. McNaughton, I think, is his name. Or McNaught, something like that. But um, I think he was good at that stage. And then you didn't see him, that I remember anyway, in any other of those teen movies of the day. No. I think something must... It would have been like, oh, you were in E.T. And that was about <laughs> what I remember anyway. I don't remember seeing him any other times. So this Blu-ray is the... Um... You know, new restored version. People have been waiting for this. There was a DVD release, like, when that... What was it called? The 20th anniversary edition. So this is the the next one. And this features a lot of extras. I'm talking a lot of extras. And the movie looks... The the movie, again, is the type of movie that fills your whole screen with no letterbox. Yeah, I love that. It's really nice. Um, So the new bonus features, and there are not many, because the rest of it's, like, from the DVD, but the new bonus features are Steven Spielberg and E.T., which is... um, the director reflects on his uh, experience making E.T. It's quite quite good, actually. We, we watched the whole thing. And uh, the E.T. Journals, which is amazing, actually, because the E.T. Journals is a two-part documentary. It's a good one. And it's all taken from on the set. It's like a fly on the wall, on the set, scene by scene. If you want to see Steven Spielberg making a movie, this you, yeah. you need to watch this. It's... Um, I was surprised that there was that much footage of on the set back then when they never used to think about making footage on the set. Not true, because you have stuff behind the scenes from Star Wars. You do, but they were making documentaries for it. Um, That's what I'm saying. It wasn't unheard of or anything. Not unheard of, but I'm surprised. I've I've had lots of different home video releases of E.T., and I've never seen that much. And as much as I like Steven Spielberg, I think he thinks very highly of himself as an important filmmaker. I think he's different now. I think when he I was that he young has man, thinking of himself as, I don't know, that making a film. I don't know that I'm important. This is important what we're doing, so we need to document the whole process. Plus, by the time he makes ET, there are going to be documentary filmmakers around who say, "Oh, can we follow you around?" And you know, because think about it. Back in that time. There were no extras for anything ever. That's what I mean. So what would have been the use of it at the time? Maybe they'd put it on HBO or something like that as like a no. special? Never. Nothing like that. I watched tons of HBO. Maybe they 80s. were just keeping it for in the future when they did have some way of putting it out, marketing it. I don't know if they had that kind of foresight. Because even during VHS era, there was no extras. Because there was nowhere to put them. 
It was really rare if there was. Like, if yeah. you got a collector's ed- edition of Titanic, there'd be an extra video cassette with some extras in it, but not everybody would get that. And just if you got the movie, it was just the movie and yeah, some trailers. Yeah, absolutely. That was it. So extras only came about when Laserdiscs hit, and there was actually extra some room to put some new stuff on. I had some videotapes with extras. That they really rare, though. Yeah. It's, it wasn't a thing. It, it, you were surprised if there was anything. Um so those are the two brand new extras. But plus, like if you own the previous DVD release of this, everything that is on that release is also included, including those deleted scenes. Um, a look back, which is, uh, as we just said, from the 20th anniversary of this movie, all the cast get back together. Um, it's called The Reunion, that one, actually. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, one, because it's, to us, it's 11 years ago. Yeah, you know, so it's so they're talk. It's it's weird when you're watching it because they're talking from 11 years ago, and we're and we're and they actually cover the restoration of the movie, but the restoration they did 11 years ago, not the one they did now, which is a bit odd when you're watching this. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, the last I was looking up that brother guy, and the last thing it looks like he's done was 1987, and he was on Newhart, right? TV show. <laughs> wow. So, he did E.T. and then a school after-school special, a TV movie, TV series, and TV show. So, I think it looks like he kind of dropped out of the Hollywood thing. So, um, extras. I always find that interesting when someone's been in a massive... You were very quiet when you weren't facing towards the microphone. It'll be fine. Um, I always find it fascinating when somebody's in like a massive movie. For example, Mark Hamill. And then, that's kind of it. You know, You unless they died, which is tragic to... But then, if that's the peak of their whole career, and then they just disappear. Like Mark Hamill. Kind of, for many years anyway. So, um, yeah. You get, you get those two new extras, and you get deleted scenes, a look back, the evolution and creation of E.T., which is another like hour-long documentary. The E.T. reunion, the music of E.T., 20th anniversary premiere you get designs photographs marketing and ultraviolet digital copy and a dvd and the blu-ray it's a fantastic pack you know when we were talking about um jaws blu-ray being like one of the best releases of the year steven spielberg's obviously going above over and above to get all these movies the deluxe kind of treatment on blu-ray we've got a lot of them to go obviously but E.T. and Jaws, you can tick off the list. These are probably the best versions you're going to get of them. What else? Oh, Close Encounters. That'd be a really good one. To, like, redo... To do that one's a already big out. It's in a big box set. I just don't have it yet. Oh, That's one of my favorites, So, um, moving on to uh, conclusion for this uh, Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is fantastic. If you're a fan of E.T., buy the Blu-ray. The restoration is great. The fi- the 7.1 surround that they've added, John Williams' score, uh, I think, seeps through more. Like, I don't ever remember hearing it that well, and it really is a nice score. I, I like the uh, theme, you know, the the famous... It's nice, it's a bit... It's very grand. It's a bit too much for me sometimes. It's very... It's obviously an emotional movie, and the the music pulls on every single line every single second when you're supposed to yeah, and that's <laughs> anticipate what I like about something and I've never noticed it as much as I noticed it today because I've watched it on a little tiny little speaker on a, on a VHS on a little TV but yeah it's 
the score is quite it's really grand it's really dramatic yeah. yeah it's like super dramatic and full orchestra you know and you can really hear it on this blu-ray and it's surround sound and you know there are surround sound parts that i'd never you know i obviously it must have been in surround sound when i saw it in the theater but maybe it wasn't i don't know so um yeah and it's got tons of extras probably everything you could if you sit and watch this all which we almost did yeah you're fully ET'd out at the end of it, right? You get everything ET out of your system. I think so. Yeah, I feel like you do too. So uh, it's a really... other than you don't get the other version of the movie with all the digital I don't want stuff. It. <laughs> I never I mean, just wanted to it. compare. I don't think he wanted it. I really don't. That's how we watched it the last time we watched it. Was that version? Yeah. Because I remember you saying I have that it on bathtub D- scene wasn't in there, and no. that wasn't in there. I own it on DVD actually, so I'll keep the DVD. So I have got both, but. Um, no, this is the one. This is the one I remember. This is this is E.T. Those extra scenes are a bit... They're not necessary. This is the movie. So, yeah, you get the whole thing. And it's the like you remember it. So, um, thanks to Universal. In conclusion, highly recommended if Just you are. Just squint your eyes a little bit when they go to fly. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're a fan, it's, it's yeah. made for you, this set. Right? So... Um, Thanks to Universal. Uh, when I went to a contest, go to acecooler.com. Got a couple of contests going on. Next week's Blu-ray review will be Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. And we have a movie game here. What's this movie game? Movie Memory 1, 2, 3. In and which one of us says to the other, name three movies that have something in it. And you have to mem- remember it. You can't just like cheat and look it up. So this week mine is name three movies that have... Vincent Price in them. Dun dun dun. Because I've been watching lots of old horror movies lately, like really old ones with um, him and the Rathbone guy and Peter Lorre and. Vincent Price. Mm hmm. I don't even. Like Fra- Frankenstein? Like, like mm-hmm. the Hammer Frankensteins? No? Mm-mm. Was he not Frankenstein in the Hammer ones? Mm hmm. Christopher Lee was Dracula in the Hammer ones. Peter Cushing. No, I don't know. Vincent Price. Vincent Price. I know who he is. The Thriller Voice. It's one of modern, more modern one that you will go, oh, right. Because you probably forgot he was in it. Was he in a modern one? Horror, probably, right? Not super modern, but relatively. Because he's dead now, but. Yeah, but horror, (laughs) probably, right? Um, not really. I'll give you a clue. It also had the suburbs in it. Um, Edward Scissorhands. Yes, <laughs> I don't I'm remember doing, him. In it. He was the he was the maker of Edward right, Scissorhands right, okay. in the beginning, and then the flashbacks. He was yeah, I, I don't know. Actually, he was also. I, I'll give you the answers then. He was also Doctor Fibes in all the Doctor yeah, Fibes was, movies, and he was in like a movie called um, Comedy of Terrors, which was him and Peter Lorre and the Rathbone guy and lots of other horror people all come together. And I mean, there's a long, huge list of. He was one of the Hammer horror regulars. Him, Peter Cushing, and Vince, and Christopher Lee. And I think uh, the other guy, too. Peter Laurie. Yeah. Is that his name? So, so that's it. Vincent Price. And he's really... He's so compelling. And even though you think, oh, it's so hokey. I mean, what, some of these movies... I just watch them and I think, oh my god, it's just so hokey. And how could people... How can this be... Like, even scary at all, and yet I react to them, and I go, oh, God, oh, dear, oh, dear, that's gross, or, oh, man, because some of them are very, 
advanced i'm watching movies from the 40s and the 50s right any black and white old old stuff and some of them very deep you know like psychology was just coming into its own and space travel and stuff was just hinted at back then and so there's lots of weird space concepts and everything so uh i that's one of me and my recommendations coming up here in a minute so movie recommendations for this week i am going with jaws and you can get that on blu-ray and it's especially good because i've just seen it you know one of the best Steven Spielberg movies, aside from Raiders, and um, that's my second one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Any of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Any of the Raiders series. And E.T. Possibly not that fourth one. I like it, but I don't love it. It's hard, isn't it, that? Mm-hmm. That that exists. It's hard <laughs> on me. No, it's his choice. He can do what he wants. I don't think he wanted to do it. You need to not be one of those people. I'm not one of those people, but I I read an interview with him, and even he did not want to make that movie. Spielberg didn't, but Lucas did. Right. There you go. And he just let him do it. So, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg may not be the kind of guy that everybody kowtows to, but Lucas seems to be. I love the Star Wars (laughs) references. Or even Steven Spielberg goes, um, okay, aliens, monkeys. We'll do it. Sure, George. I love <laughs> these Star Wars references in, in E.T. Well. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. That kid, he was so awesome. Not just the Yoda, when he's, when he's showing E.T. Yeah, all the toys. Star Wars figures. Oh my god, it's so awesome. And that's another thing where I connected. I was a Star Wars figure, not when I was a kid. So when he was showing all the Star Wars yeah. figures to him, I was like, oh my god, they're, they're my Star Wars figures, you know. It's so personal, a lot of that movie. That's why it's so... And Yoda You forget, when he's showing E.T., which he names him E.T., because yeah. his friend said whatever. Um, when he's showing him the toys, and this is a lamp and this is a thing, like you get lost in a boy showing these things and the fact that this is a creature from another planet. But it's like he's showing it to his friend. Yeah, it's like the first contact of an alien on the hu- for the human race and yet here's this boy going, and here's a, these are toys and you go like... I like, and this is a peanut and we put our money inside but it. But this is when you can't eat it. It's fake. <laughs> it's fake. And this is money and you put it in the peanuts. He, uh-huh. You know, oh my God. It's just... Aw- and then he tries to eat the little car and he's like, no, 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 don't eat. Don't eat it. And then... I just forget, I think that's almost genius because you're you skip over the whole alien part, you know. So Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark, or any Steven Spielberg movie, they, there's a good one for you. Yeah, Don't and mine are Close Encounters of the Third Kind because I think that's one of the best space movies ever. Even though I'm not a huge Richard Dreyfuss fan, I think in that movie he takes on that character exactly right because like as he does in Jaws and shit and. Um, any Vincent Price movie. That's my other recommendation. Even the bad ones. Even the ones that you look at and go, well, that's just corny as hell. It doesn't matter because they're all very grand and very, like, I don't even know how to describe some of them. They were obsessed with the Victorian era, I think, or Edwardian period there in the 70s and 60s. Because every horror movie was in a big castle or a big mansion and everyone had big top hats and capes and I don't know what it was. It must have been easy to make movie sets like that because that's where all the creepy yeah, shit was all going they just on. Shared them around. Yeah, exactly. That's where all the creepiest stuff was happening. So I say any Vincent Price movie. So games and Ace Scully stuff this week. Been quite a few games out this week. First one is Forza Horizon, which you you've love seen, it. You've seen me play a lot of Forza Horizon this week. It's a uh, the Forza game. They've taken it. Are you saying Forza with an F? With a Z and an F. F O R Z A. Yeah. Okay. So um, they've taken Forza Motorsport 
which has had four games now, and taken it out of its kind of serious racing kind of game and made it like a fun open-world racing game. Uh, you've seen me play a lot of it this week. Mm-hmm. I've been. It's the whole of Colorado that they've modelled, basically. You drive around Colorado. There's races to do. Or you could just cruise around Colorado. Just Even you drove a little bit this week. A little bit. Are you sure it's the whole state? It's the whole of an area of yeah, Colorado. Yeah, it's not the whole state. Yeah, no. it's too big for that. It's the Rocky Mountains part. So um, what they've done is it's like a music-slash-car racing festival in the middle of this area. And then you go to that area and you compete in races to become the best racer. Or you just cruise around. You There's things to find. There's roads to drive. It's like an open-world racing game. Like a Grand Theft Auto kind of explore-the-place game. You're not killing anybody. No, you're just driving and racing. And there's races everywhere that you can just do. And then you don't do them at all. You but just what's drive. your favorite part? Well, I got the achievement this week for driving <laughs> every single road. So you... That's just cruising the roads and driving around and going everywhere. Because you couldn't achieve that by just racing. You have to seek out all the little bits of road, all the exits and the on-ramps. All those count. Yeah. And if you do just do the racing, you'll never hit them all. Right. Uh, I want to say it's really good. The game looks fantastic. It's one of the best-looking 360 games I've seen. There's not a jagged edge. It's like... um... I was sitting about... 12 inches away from our big TV because we were looking for roads and it still looked... Yeah. It had blocks that close. Right. But, but still looked pretty smooth. Yeah, it's... Um, I think they've finally got the handle on the 360 and what it can do. And these final 360 games, because next year I'm assuming we won't be using the 360 next this time next year. I think there'll be a new console then. Um, I think they have squeezed all the horsepower out of it. And the games look so much better now than they did when we first... Started, you know, 2005 when the 360 came out. So then why not just use another five years of this quality? They won't, because it's time to move on for them. It's been out since 2005 now, seven years old. Uh, it's around the time new consoles... Kind of, I think it'll be out next Christmas. But um, yeah, every, they've squeezed every piece of juice out of it. It looks fantastic. If you like racing games, it's got online component. It's really cool. I would recommend it highly. Uh, second game I played this week is Medal of Honor Warfighter, which is EA's new first-person shooter. Talked about it last week. Finished the story this week. Um, and I'm a Call of Duty fan, and this is like a second-rate Call of Duty. No, in a bad way. In... See, that's the thing, and this is a problem I am having with um, first-person shooters at the moment. Uh, you know when they give you a story in a first-person shooter, and this this one does. The single player is a story. Um, the story in this one is really bland. Do you need a story for the? Yeah, because it has to be a war or something, right? Yeah. You can't just go shoot people. It has to be a story, right? It's like a Hollywood movie. So they all they they all try to make them all like a Hollywood movie nowadays. So they open with like a setup, but the way Medal of Honor does it is it it flashes back and flashes forward and flashes back and flashes forward, and often I don't even know who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you but say Call of Duty does that? Call of Duty does it too, but it's it's easier to understand what they what they do in Medal of Honor is they want you to play as the three different um, people. In fact, one of the levels in Medal of Honor Warfighter, you play as the Taliban. Well, they're equivalent of the Taliban, I guess. They're not really the Taliban, you know. 
So you, and it's called like through the enemy's eyes, and you play as them. So they try and put you on every side, and you see it from all these sides. But what happens to me is I forget what I'm doing and whose side I'm on, and why I'm going to rescue a guy. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if you watched a really complicated war movie, and you and you and you were watching it, and then you'd go. I don't even know what this mission's about anymore. Like, like you flash back, forward, flash forward. Where am I now? What timeline am I at? Am I at? And mm. why am I doing this? What? I don't know because I haven't played it or seen it. I don't know. No, I'm. I'm just asking. I'm saying like. I get confused at movies a lot like that. Well, that's so. what I was asking you. But but not if you're playing it. Well, yeah, because it's a story. You got to listen and pay attention, right? It's not just shooting people. When they say. When they give you a long cutscene about exposition about the mission and two people talking about it, that's supposed to be enough so you know what you're shooting, right? I mean, you don't go into a shooting game. And it's not what you think a shooting game is. Right, it's not so just... you can't... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. what I'm saying is a shooting game is not just like like duck hunt. It's not just like there's a guy shooting. There's a guy shooting. It's not a target range. That's what Call of Duty is when I watch you play every night. Well, multiplayer is. But I'm talking about the story of the game. Right. All games have a story, a very detailed story that has Hollywood production values instilled into it. And EA do this with Medal of Honor. It's like watching a top quality war movie, except you're playing it. But what I was getting at was the the plot is so convoluted and. It's not convoluted, it's quite realistic. But it's so complicated, it's hard to follow. And I think that's to its detriment, you know? You've watched films before that you don't follow. Many. Yeah, and at the end you're kind of like, um, I don't even know why eventually this guy is the bad guy or whatever. But I I guess I think I'm not invested, like I'm not doing anything. So that's why I don't always pay that close attention. I don't I don't follow because I'm not doing anything whereas in a game you're doing everything like you're... yeah but it doesn't matter if you do it or not if 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 there's a cutscene which is exactly like watching a movie when a cutscene happens right people are talking and they're explaining something usually to you like or the you know their exposition give you your mission and then you go do it not just giving you your mission maybe it's maybe it's a talk between two people they're, they're a lot cleverer than that nowadays so so, so this mo- this game starts off with your guy, one of the guys that you play, sat in his hotel room, wakes up, puts his watch on, phones his wife. Then you see his wife talking to him. And she's talking about how, when will you be home, when you will be home. And he's saying, let me listen to my kid. And, and then, he, then he can't tell her anything because you're not allowed to in the military. And then, then it cuts to like a scene of his commander telling him some stuff. And, and referencing some stuff that happened four years ago, and then all of a sudden it's like four years ago, and then you're doing something from four years ago. And it does that a lot. Then it'll go nine years later, f- three years before, and by the time you are eight levels in, you don't even know what's going on anymore. That's what I'm getting at. It's really, really convoluted. The game looks amazing, but it's super scripted also, which I'm finding a lot in first-person shooters nowadays. It's like... It's like they have forgot what makes playing a game fun. Like, this isn't fun, right? Shooting in a game is fun. It's fundamentally fun. The actual mechanic of shooting. It's challenging. There's guys to shoot, you got to shoot them. As a sniper, he might kill you. Got to shoot, got to shoot. In this game, a lot of the time, they put you in an area, and this would be really fun, generally. 
you'd be able to shoot like 20 guys and you'd, be, you'd feel badass after you'd done it because you're like wow I got all them guys and nobody got me well in this game they go hey look a rocket launcher is on the floor just blow the building up so the whole gameplay section consists of you picking a rocket launcher up which is one button pointing it at a building and pressing A the thing blows up, it's very spectacular, fireworks, it looks like a Hollywood movie, the buildings fall down, all the guys die. But how's that fun? I don't... None of it's fun to me. Well, so. I'm saying that is not... Because you don't do anything. You press two buttons to make the entire thing happen. If that whole thing was skill and shooting stuff and, you know, doing that, that would be fun. But there's a lot of, like, we've got to have massive explosions. Michael Bay kind of syndrome. So, we will... Instead of having you shoot the ten guys, we will have you blow the building up. But blowing the building up is really easy because you just fire a rocket at the building. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Nobody will remember this game in two weeks, I guarantee you. When Call of Duty comes out, nobody will remember this. Nobody will be playing it. It will be a dead duck. Not nobody, but I get what Very few people. Um, so I've also been playing this week Dishonored, which uh, you've seen quite a bit of too. And this is a uh, stealth game where you can choose all the different ways through the levels. Um, you play this guy. It's really weird. It's like old times, but new times. I can't place when it is. I mean, it's not any not any time, right? Because it's fictional. But it's like a cross between Assassin's Creed like, and Half-Life, and you're a guy who does magic. And what is amazing about the game, and it's it's really incredible, is that, and this is the opposite to Medal of Honor Warfighter, which is like a straight corridor that you just walk down and do what it tells you to do. This one, it doesn't... It says, there's a guy... Here's, here's the mission we were doing last night. There's a guy who lives in a tower. He is scared of everything. He's scared of his own shadow. He's, he thinks everybody's going to kill him. So he's made himself a massive tower, and it's a huge, big, like like gothic looking castle tower he is in the top room it's his safe room and uh, what they say to you is you have to assassinate him because he's a bad guy now in other games you would just kind of walk shoot walk shoot eventually get to the top of the tower in this game you can do it any way you want you can climb up the tower from the outside you've got magic power so you can jump really high and stuff you can Sneak. If you have magic powers, why can't you just will him dead from where you are? No, you haven't got those kind of magic powers. You, you've got certain magic powers. Or like knock the tower down. One of the magic, magic no, you can't do that. One of the magic powers you have is possession. And you can possess people and animals. So, there are a million ways to do this mission. I'm telling you, like, you can, you could just be a badass, run in there and shoot everybody. Because you have a pistol, right? And that would be a way to do it. It would be very difficult because you'd have to get through every single guard all the way to the top of the tower and kill this guy. So you could do that. You could sneak in. You could possess a rat, sneak in through the sewers, and then sneak your way. I mean, a bird. You can be a bird as well, but you can only possess for a certain amount of time, so you can't be a rat the entire time. Plus, guards like to kill rats. They stand on them. So you've no defences when you're a rat, but you can sneak in as a rat. You can fly in a window as a bird. You can, if you see a guard... When you are a rat and then you become you again, do you have clothes on magically? Yeah. If it's a guard with a guard dog, you could be the guard dog. And the guard could get you through a door because he'll take his guard 
he's take his dog through the door, but he would not take you through the door if he you're saw you. You're possessing them. You're not transforming into them. You are in them. Because. But then you come out with your clothes on and, and everything? You, yeah, because if there's a door and you possess a man and then he walks through the door, when your possession runs out, you're, you're through the door. So you and work. And you just ooze out of them or what? It's not. It's first person, so you don't really see it happen. Right. <laughs> so, um. I like these details. I'm looking for details. So there's a lot of um, ways to do everything. A lot of ways. And I mean, it, and it's set up, and you can see it's set up for lots of ways. If you look up, you'll see lots of sneaky little hidey holes and places to hide in the shadows. If you look, there's booby traps you can set. You can, like, rewire, um, th- like, traps so the traps go off on them instead of you. And then you can just sit back and watch things happen. What about Catch's Tower on Fire? then he has to come out himself. Nope. Well, then there's not a million ways. There are. Considering the amount of magic, uh, the powers and just normal things you can do. And the actual, you know, like I say, in in Medal of Honor or Call of Duty, for instance, there's just one way to go. Like, you just go, if you looked at it from above as a map, it would be a straight line. Like, it would just be room A, room B, room C, room D. This is like... All the rooms of the alphabets, you know, A to Z, and you don't have to go A B C D E F G. You could go A, <laughs> F, and then Z. Like it, like it's it's really you know, it's really good game design. There was one level I was playing last night as well where it was a masquerade ball that you had to go to. So you go to the ball and you mingle with all the guests, and then you realise there's a lady in the masquerade ball. Um, but she's playing a game with everybody. So the masquerade ball has some rules when you go in, and it's like the Countess of the Manor. She there's three of them. Which one is the real one? One of them's dressed in red. One of them's dressed in white. One of them's dressed in black. There's three of them. You encounter them. You talk to her on occasion, but she's always behind the mask. Then you have to go and find clues, like sneak into a bedroom and see if there's any clues. And inside a makeup box, you might see like a uh, makeup thing with some black makeup on where she's been. You know, so. There's that kind of thing where you've got to figure out, and you like that. by looking for clues. Yeah, it's so good. It's um, I highly recommend Dishonored. Um, so that's it for games this week. But games for next week, and next week's a big one. Assassin's Creed Three is out on Tuesday. That's one of the biggest games of this year. If I Need for Speed Most Wanted is out on Tuesday. Love Need for Speed, and there's only one a year, and this one's a big one this year because Criterion are doing it. Who are the Burnout guys? So it. It's essentially Burnout 5. It's just got the Need for Speed license now because they stopped making Burnout. What happens is EA bought Criterion, told them not to make Burnout anymore, and made them the Need for Speed team. So instead of making Need for Speed games, they decided to make Burnout games, but under the Need for Speed name. So even though it's called Need for Speed Most Wanted, it's actually a Burnout game. Just think of it as that. Because it's Criterion... But you haven't played it yet, so you don't know. I have seen enough stuff to know Mm -hmm. it is a Burnout game. Burnout Paradise from a few years ago, where you explore a city. There's no story. It's just exploring, driving roads, finding things, finding cars. It's that kind of gameplay. There's no story this time. No crashing? There is some crashing, yes. There's the the rampage mode where you have to knock them off the road. But no crash setup in a game like that in the original. That was the best part. But... If you are a fan of Burnout Paradise and you th- you weren't aware of this, this is uh, the 
like successor to Burnout Paradise. It just happens to have the Need for Speed name on it. Forget last year's The Run, which was terrible. Yeah. Forget that. This is this is how Need for Speed should be. This is this will be the. I can guarantee you it'll be good. So that's out on Tuesday, and Lego Lord of the Rings is also out on Tuesday. Which um, Lego games are always a lot of fun. We played the Batman one just recently. I think Lord of the Rings will lend yeah. itself really well to uh, Lego. And um, and finally, after that, I upgraded to Windows 8 this week because it was Windows 8 launch day yesterday. Will there be Lego trees walking around? Yes. <laughs> um, and Windows 8's going well for me so far. Um, you also have a copy, which you haven't installed yet. But um, I don't get as excited as you about reformatting. I find it a pain in the ass. No, but I can honestly say uh, I'm getting to grips with it. When I said about Windows 8 when we tried the mm-hmm. consumer preview... The actual final version is quite a lot different to that consumer preview, especially the Microsoft Store that they, in the consumer preview, it was very sparse, there wasn't hardly anything in it. It's chock-a-block with stuff now. Yeah, but you knew there would be stuff. Your complaints weren't about the store. Your right, and I do have, I still have some complaints, which I'll mention in another show, because there are, there are a few. But, in general, the operating system runs really, really fast. It's faster than 7. I really like that. What do you mean? It's faster. It's just snappier. Everything's snappier. And I do have an SSD in my system, so that would be part of it. But um, it's just really snappy. Considering it has two different interfaces going on at the same time, you know, just flicking between them is so fast. Like, I couldn't believe a computer could do that. You know what I mean? And and it's, it's if you've got Windows 7 and an older computer... Windows 8 actually runs better. It uses less resources than Windows 7. Well, so. there's going to be a line of oldness that you can't... There's a line of oldness. I would say the line is about four years ago. If you get anything before that, or laptops that are particularly slow, it probably wouldn't help you. But um, There's offers going on at the moment for Windows 8. You can upgrade for $40 if you go on windowsupgrade.com. It's uh, $39.99 um, to upgrade... Now, that doesn't last very long, so get in there. Even if you're not going to install it now, you can get that price and then install it later because it's going back up. But if you install it and you don't like it, there is no going back. Well, there is if you reformat back. I'm saying there's no going back Like to just like five minutes later be back the way you were. You will have to reformat. That means you need to back up everything because you'll lose all your pictures, all your documents, everything. If you don't know about how to do Windows stuff, it's not like, oh, let me try it. I don't like it. I'll just flip back. It's not like that at all. So be warned if you're going to try it. I'm quite happy with it at the moment. I've been finding my way around its idiosyncrasies for a, a couple of days. There are some things that were bugging the shit out of me, like the Skype app, which is a full screen Skype app, which if I want to talk to my friend on Skype, I have to sit looking at this full screen of Skype, which was driving me crazy. I was like, I want to do that. I want to be on my desktop with my little Skype window like I always have for the last five years. Today... Skype launched a desktop edition of Skype for Windows 8, which I got a couple of hours ago. Really and it good. works just like the old one. It's fi- fantastic. You can get rid of the Windows 8 one. You can actually uninstall it if you want. So now they need an app for Netflix. Yeah. Which Not they do have. Chrome. They do. Yeah, the Netflix app is... But it's full screen. Brighter. I know, but it's full screen. You can't... Correct. You can't ha- so they need to make a Windows 8 Netflix app. That will app. not happen. Why? Because the the standalone apps will never happen. They're all going through that store. Skype just did it. No, Skype just made the the old version of Skype available for Windows 8, basically. Right. It, it's that that's just 
It's just they said, oh yeah, there is a desktop version of Windows 8. We just didn't want to publicize it because that new one is the one we want you to have. But if you look in the small print, you can still get a new... In fact... Because um, who wants the whole screen to be fucking Skype? That's insane. Like, if you say, like, even if you're doing a video call, you don't want it to be no. full screen. It's like, and if you see that crazy. version of Skype, just like any yeah. other version of Skype, it might look a little different, but that's about it. Uh, so yeah, I've worked through some of the idiosyncrasies of it. I'm kind of getting to grips with how I want it and how I like it. I had to buy a couple of new apps because they would, my old ones would not work. Flash FXP would not work. I had to get a new version of it. And Acronis, which is the, the thing I use for backup on all our computers, our old version of Acronis does not work on Windows 8. I had to go and get the new version of Acronis. So there are a couple of things that might not work. But they're the only two things that don't work, so I didn't do too bad overall. So, um, Sid Talk, what's for dinner? What does it smell like? <laughs> We're having veggie spaghetti. And it's been in the crock pot all afternoon. The sauce, I mean. Right. Potatoes, sweet potatoes. Like ragu. Yeah. And uh, some like whole wheat, some high protein spaghetti noodles. And that's it really for supper. Maybe some peas, I don't know. And um, my advice is just do this, please. Change one of your idiot opinions of the What world. happens if I've not got any idiot opinions? You do. And you know you do. No, I'm so not. So you do. Absolutely. I do. I Everyone think all does. my opinions are good. Yeah, but you know they're not. In your heart, you know when you're being a freaking idiot. Like everybody does. Huh. If you hear the word, if you talk to somebody and they say they're vegetarian, and you instantly react with this like, oh, vegetarian, or, well, I eat meat. What's wrong with meat? Okay, you're an idiot. You just turned into an idiot. That opinion that you have makes you sound like an idiot. So rethink your perspective on the vegetarian thing, if that's your opinion. If somebody comes up to you and they're a Democrat or a Republican and you're the opposite and you instantly start barking about what... Uh, like, like you reject them completely because they have these different views than you, that makes you an idiot. It's very simple. I do it too. I do the exact same thing. So I'm working on one thing at a time. You know, find one thing that I react very negatively to. Like, I have this problem with really weak, weepy, apologetic people. Seriously, I want to, like, just... It makes me grip my teeth. I don't know what it is. It's like an instant reaction. And when I say things like, Oh my God, stop apologizing. Like, you're getting on my nerves. That's in my mind. That's kind of an idiot way to look at somebody. Even though... It feels like I'm right. I know that that's just a like a blank, like a blockhead way to think of it. So I'll work on that, even though I probably won't come around anytime soon. <laughs> but <laughs> because seriously, people, stop apologizing. <laughs> but just think, if you have something that you know when you start rubbing everybody the wrong way because of your idiot opinion on something, maybe you're wrong. Like... I'm not saying change for the sake of everyone. Reevaluate what you think. And then maybe you'll turn, look in the mirror and go, oh yeah, that kind of makes me sound like an idiot. So that's it. All right. So uh, listen to Sitok. She is the wisest of the wise. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening to the show. Um, I want to remind you about our website. It's ascoli.com, You can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, Xbox Live, YouTube. 
And you can catch this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, the Zune Marketplace, and the RSS feed. Just go to ascully.com, click on the word podcast, everything is there for you. Email feedback to me at ascully at ascully.com, and uh, stay classy, phone home. (laughs) Nice. And I'm going to say think for yourselves, because if you don't do it, someone's being an idiot for you. (laughs) 